We welcome you to the official Titans podcast, the short week official Titans podcast, the OTP. Amy Wells is here. Hello. Titans Radio's Dave McGinnis is here. Hi, Mike. Jim Wyatt from TitansOnline.com is here. I'm here. Thank you. Doing it on Monday because the team departs for Jacksonville on Wednesday, and the game is on Thursday of this week. Amy Wells is actually going early. I am going early. We're doing a story on the uh, Titans advance team and the operations crew and all of the things that they do to get ready for a road game. So I'm very excited to spend some time with those guys and kind of get a behind-the-scenes look. Because even traveling, I don't know most of the stuff. It's magic to me. Well, I just show up where they tell me to show up and things happen. There's food and the players know where to go and everything just kind of happens. So I'm excited to see all of the preparation that goes into getting it to a place where the team can just focus on football and getting ready for the game. You know what? I'm really glad you guys are doing this because Brent Akers and his crew are really, really good. I do know what goes on. You know, I've been not only a head coach, when I was an assistant head coach, I was in charge of a lot of that because that's so important for when you're on the road that everything fits. And I'm so glad you guys are doing that because Brent Akers and his whole operations crew, they are really, really good. They may have the worst job in season of any non, I guess, technically football job there is. Let me tell you, let me tell you what the, the, the anxiety that those Oh, people go through. And I've, I've experienced it firsthand, believe me, because, you know, I was in charge of a lot of it. I mean, you're, you're at the mercy of airlines. You're at the mercy of bus. You're at the mercy of hotels. You're at the mercy of weather. But no matter what happens, you have to get it right because it's so time sensitive for a football team traveling. These guys here, again, as I said, third time I've said it now, they are tremendous. You know, we got the idea for the this story we started talking about it after that seven hour game that we had in miami yeah and they're finding food for people and they're constructing walls out of whatever they can find so that the team has some more room to spread out so with that it kind of sparked our minds to thinking okay these guys have to be a little bit crazy to be able to accomplish what they're able to do and even more important in a short week their job oh yeah and, and it's something that they uh amy will find out and is is Coach Mack knows. I mean, this is something I'm sure they have been plotting since May or June, uh, the the plans going into this week and how you're going to go about doing it. So, uh, yeah, and it is a tough turnaround, but maybe good practice from the preseason when the team had a similar t- quick turnaround. Go into Brent Aker's office, and it looks like a, a head coach's office on his whiteboard and see how it's, it's planned out. I mean, graphs, I mean, it, it's plotted out. The whole season is a long time ago. Let's move to best and worst to begin this edition of the OTP. Coming off the loss to Indianapolis, best play from the Indianapolis game. Amy Wells, you go first. I said Harold Landry having the wherewithal to grab on uh, Brissett's fumble. It led to a kick by Cairo Santos, which put us up by four points and gave us a little bit more padding continuing through the game but just having the foresight to see that ball which was a weird fumble anyway and take advantage of that was a big play in my mind yeah mine was a turnover also it's logan ryan you know logan ryan's play because he was man-to-man he was man-to-man on ty hilton on an option route that uh got in phase with him with him again big play 
And I'm piggybacking on Coach Mack because I got Logan Ryan's interception on my list. Two interceptions for him in two games, one and a half sacks. I think he's off to a great start. Missed a tackle. I'm sure that he kicked himself four on the long touch on the long run that set up the late touchdown. But great play by him, and I think it's show all his work this offseason is really showing. All right, worst play from the Indianapolis game. Pick any play from that final drive. I mean, I hate to say it, but you get the ball with a minute and seven seconds left. I'll say one of the two short completions that allows so much time to run off the clock. Yeah, mine is in that same amount of time. The spike on third down or Tajay Sharp not necessarily maybe knowing where he needed to be for that first down, that was tough. The inability to get Brissett on the ground when you had so many chances, that flips the narrative of this game, in my opinion, because you had good pressure on him. We're not able to get him on the ground in some critical times. Dave McGinnis, thing that concerns you the most coming out of the Indianapolis game? Not being able to close the game out in the fourth quarter. That's been really a good you know, uh, uh, thing that this team has been able to do, not being able to close a game out at home in the fourth quarter. Not being able to manage it. And those are two definite concerns. Mine's run defense. I mean, giving up 134.5 through two games, 167 yesterday, 102 first week. Um, Got to be better better against the run, and, and you better do it this week because, you know, Jacksonville's going to try to establish it on Thursday night. Okay, it was not a devastating defeat from the standpoint you didn't do everything wrong. So give me a positive that you feel like Titans can build on coming out of the Indianapolis game? Well, I think Derrick Henry continues to look good. I think he runs the ball well. I think he gets momentum as the game goes on. I'd like to see the team just stick with him and just ride him. I mean, uh, I think there were stretches in that game where you felt like he was taking the game over. And then there was a stretch where he wasn't in there. So, I mean, I, I think you just keep keep riding your riding your horse. I said that despite the fact that there were some mistakes, it was still a very close game all the way down to the very end. I mean, nobody was running away with this game. The team still was in it and able to hang with the Colts. I think that there's a lot of good to be found in the fact that, barring a few mistakes, this would have been a Titans victory. Yeah, Amy Wells and I, we call each other constantly on, on what these questions and answers are going to be. <laughs> uh, but I put out not being uh, – I put out the game was never out of hand. It was a slugfest throughout the whole way. You know, you, this 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 ball game. It wasn't like you came out and, and completely did not perform. You performed. You just didn't close it out. All right, Dave McGinnis. What has to happen on third down to improve a fifteen percent conversion percentage from the first two games? This was glossed over with at Cleveland because everything else went well. Two of ten glossed over. Yesterday, one of ten, a huge factor in not being able to stay with the run game because the Titans just didn't get that many plays. And you're 100% right. And let me tell you the biggest problem with third downs in this last ball game. Third and 13, third and 18, third and 17, third and 15. Those are, those are four third downs. Now, the problem with that is first and second down, either by penalty or by non-production. <clears throat> but to me, the, the, the issues are you've got to do better on first and second down. You've got to put yourself into third and manageable, but you cannot live in the National Football League, especially in a competitive game like we've just been talking about, converting one of ten on third down, especially when your opponent is converting 50% of their third downs. 
And that's what I got my list. Be better on first and second down. That, that helps you avoid sacks, helps you be so predictable. I think the Titans found themselves in such a predictable spot when you're third and long, having to drop back and throw it. And that's what led to uh, you going backwards. But I will say when you are in those third and long situations, you got to get the ball out a little bit f- faster. And I know Marcus talked about it as a point of emphasis for him right after the game. Um, so I don't think that I'm saying anything that's – new or innovative but you've got to get the ball out a little bit faster if you're going to make some of those big plays to kind of save your drive if you don't have taylor to one which the titans don't for two more games it's almost as if all phases have to be a little better the offensive line has to play together and they have to certainly do their best mariota's got to get the ball out the other thing too is receivers have got to get free quicker too you're you're down an important part right now. It's not the only reason that you've given up eight sacks, but it's it's like every point of execution, Coach Mack, has to be just a little bit better. Yeah, you do. And the pressure that you're talking about, I mean, I don't think we've had a lot of edge pressure in two ball games. You know, seriously, just screaming off the edge, especially over there on that left side. I haven't seen that, but you do have to be better. And and, and Amy Wells is 100% right. It, it's first and second down that, that puts you in an, an, an issue as to where you've got to be able to, to do that. And, and Jim Wyatt said it, too. I mean, first and second down, you, you've got to put yourself in manageable. I know this. As a, as a lifelong defensive coach in the National Football League, I used to love looking at third and 13, third and 18, third and 17, third and 15, because every call I have defensively will work, will work. The percentages, when you start to do the percentages in the favor of the defense, there's astronomical when you have it this long, third and 10 plus. I mean, that it's so first and second down have got to be better. And as I said, the pressure, the pressure hasn't been coming from the edge. I think the pressure comes from a lot of what you're talking about. And I haven't, I haven't dug in as deep as I'm going to, but to see if holding the ball is a, is a consequence of just waiting for somebody to come open or if it's a problem of separation across the board. Amy Wells, start with you on this one. Reaction when David Quisenberry caught the touchdown pass. First off, I love it when the big guys get in the end zone. Just me personally, I think that's great. It's very fun. But the team and seeing their reaction was 10 times better. They exploded. Tight ends coach Todd Downing ran over hugged Arthur Smith, like bear hugged him because it worked. He was so excited. Um, such a cool moment, knowing David Quisenberry's story and all that he's had to overcome to get to that moment for a big guy to get a touchdown. Really, really special moment. Yeah, and and, and what he, what Amy's referring to is he's a guy fought cancer and has won and has now found himself back on the football field. I have to say, when I saw him catch it I was surprised because it, they worked on that in practice where he lined up as kind of the jumbo tight end but they never threw him the ball and and I thought well maybe I just missed it because I was in and out of practice a little bit more this week than usual just because I had so much stuff going on with the Steve McNair Eddie George uh, jersey retirement so I'm thinking well maybe there was a time when they ran that in practice where I didn't see it and I asked him after the game and he said they never threw him the ball in practice and, and Marcus said the same thing uh, so he said he, he broke off the line of scrimmage, got into the end zone, found himself wide open. He even said to himself, damn, I'm wide open here. And the ball came his way. He caught it, and I think it was as much shock 
uh, uh, mixed in there as well as everybody just being so happy for a guy who's worked so hard to get to that moment. Normally when you line an extra lineman up like that, it's best not to throw it to him at all <laughs> early on. You know, I'm talking about in practice because they think about it too much. I, I love the call. I love the execution. And I also like the confidence that everybody had, you know, that it, it's going to work. I mean, I, I absolutely loved it. Plus, that's a big play at that time. It was a big play. I went back and watched it frame by frame last night. First thing, so Quisenberry's lined up on the right side as the tight end. The first thing he does is he makes contact with somebody on the defensive line, and it was more than just a brush. It was more than just token. So he didn't release clean, which a lot of times those guys do. He comes off, and he's actually running a route. Quisenberry was running a, a pattern across the back of the end zone. He didn't just run into the end zone and turn around. He's still moving when the ball comes his way. It's a good throw by Mariota, but it's not a simple catch for a man who doesn't catch. And he reached back with his hands and just snatched it like he'd been doing it all his life. It was a great play by David Quisenberry. Yeah, he didn't body catch it. He no. Caught it, as you say, he caught it with his hands. And 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 look, when you're playing goal line defense and you, and you see an extra lineman in there, you, you understand when you're playing goal line defense, most of the time you're in man-to-man, and you've got a linebacker usually responsible for that backside nub tight end is what he has, and if he shows, especially alignment, shows any inclination that he's blocking at all, you leave him. Right. You leave him, and you go to try to help to double a real receiver. Well, this worked. I think the guy he beat was actually Darius Leonard, the mm. rookie of the year last year, the defensive rookie of the well, year. Because, uh, you know what Darius Leonard did? As, as I said, as soon as he blocked, his eyes went somewhere else. Yeah, see, but Coach, I would say Quisenberry's point would be, I'm just too athletic for him. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? And God bless him. Let it be that. Well, that and, and here's what I want to say is, about I this. I want him to think that. And, and I'm glad he talked about it after the game, because even though the Titans lost, and even though linemen are generally not allowed to speak ever, and especially speak of themselves, that is such an important moment for so many people who are fighting blood cancer, who are... Uh, part of families or have friends or whatever because this guy and 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 what they do at at lls is so special in in fundraising and helping families and education and development and we've got so many more people who are staying alive today because of these developments if this happens to david quisenberry 30 years ago he's not here Mm -hmm. but this is huge so they do the light the night walk. They do so many great things. Our friend Jonathan Hutton raised over $100,000 for him this spring and is man of the year. But think about what this moment meant to all of those people who are in this fight right now. A man who was down for three years scored a touchdown in an NFL game. And that's more important than the Indianapolis Colts or the Tennessee Titans or the Pittsburgh Steelers or anybody else in terms, if you want to fight for it, here's here's a guy, 29 years old, who caught a touchdown pass in the NFL because he would not stop fighting. Yeah, and, and if Titans would have won that game, you talk about a feel-good story oh, coming yeah. out of it. It would have been. I mean, we still obviously we're writing about it and it's still getting good play nationally because it's such a, a big moment. means even more to Mike Vrabel because he was with David Quisenberry back in Houston and, sure. and saw his struggle and now having him here, uh, everybody's happy for him. I mean, he, he yeah, it would have been nice if we would have come in a win but uh, you know, he said it himself, I mean, it's a uh, you know moment that he'll never forget and just happy to be 
having an opportunity to do it. All right, favorite takeaway from the Eddie George-Steve McNair halftime ceremony or anything from the Eddie George-Steve McNair week that really grabbed you? I just I, I love the atmosphere and I like the feel. It brought everybody together. I mean, you know, this is different generations of Titans fans, Titans players. Uh, it brought everybody together, and it, it was so good. I mean, I you know I was here for some of that, you know, for some of those you know for eight years, and it was just so good to see all those former players come back. I love seeing Jeff Fisher being invited back and being part of it, you know, down there on the field. And just you could feel you could really feel the sense of oneness in that stadium. And you could feel it all week leading up to it. I mean, the, you did a tremendous job, Mike, uh, uh, with you and, and the, the, the way the whole organization, you know, did everything from Thursday on with it, with everything that was done, you know, with 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 all access and, and, and everything on, on Titans media about it. I mean, it was it was tremendous. And those are special times because you're talking talking about two generational players in the National Football League having their numbers retired together. I mean, and they came in together and basically were the pillars of, of the way this organization was built in Tennessee. And it was the whole thing was very well done. Yeah, and I think just Eddie just embracing the moment and embracing the week so much. I mean, from the start of the week, he was he hit the ground running and made himself available to anybody that wanted to talk to him about it. I think he was doing it not just for himself, but because of Steve and to kind of keep his memory alive. So to see him uh, there and to see him get a little bit of cho- a little bit choked up during the ceremony. You know, kind of spoke to just how much it meant to him, and then something I didn't realize until after the number nine cloud, uh, the, the cloud that that went over the stadium in the shape of the number nine that was taken by Gabby Stepanek, who uh, I didn't see it when it happened, and when I first saw the photo, I thought it was Photoshop, but then somebody else sent me a video of it where they kind of went back and forth from the play to the sky, and it was great, crazy how much the cloud shaped like a number nine. So you had to think that Steve McNair looking down smiling himself after the way things played out yesterday that cool moment i had some people send me pictures as well just who were in the stadium really wild um but just having all of the former players here former opponents former coaches and everybody hearing all of their stories about that time in titans history you know all of the epic battles all the funny stories all the you just feel like you're getting to know these people a little bit better and learn a little bit more about this titans team and it was so much fun for me to just see a lot of familiar faces and hear a lot of old stories and stories that i had never heard before it was a really really fun week let's turn the page to jacksonville a team that eddie george often tortures (laughs) he played very well against them historically they have a rookie quarterback out of washington state Am I saying it right? Garner Minshew? Yep. Tell me about Garner Minshew. Who is he and how is Jacksonville using him? This kid's a gunslinger, and and, and he might be a rookie. Uh, I don't see them, you know, what I've watched him play. I mean, his nature is to sling it around. Now, now they're, they're going to limit him some because they're going to want to run the football, but I don't see them just making him a handoff unit back there. This guy brought them back in the fourth quarter in this last ball game that they had a chance to win when they went for two at the end and it wasn't successful. You can't go to sleep on this quarterback just because he's a rookie and just because you think, well, all we've got to do is now play the run and all they're going to do is just give him fundamental things to do. This kid can make some things happen. He's done it his whole career. I mean, that's what he's done since high school and all the way through. I think the, you know we've talked about him 
before as far as his journey through junior college, his journey out to Washington State. I mean, and the other thing to know about this guy, if you really dig into him, I mean, he's a really smart guy, really, really smart. So we can't underestimate what they're going to do with this quarterback. And and I was talking to a buddy of mine, John Osher, who worked for the Times Union forever, and I worked for the Jaguars before I came in here. And he, I was surprised to hear, obviously, when they lose Nick Foles, that's a heck of a development for them right at the start of the season. But the city has kind of embraced this guy and his kind of his quirkiness. He's kind of a mustache guy. I think he became famous at Washington State for that. So they they are rallying behind this guy, uh, and I think he has been a guy looks like he's played a lot of football uh, so far. I do think uh, one of these weeks he's going to get exposed a little bit for being a rookie, and uh, and you would hope that Dean Peace will be able to put a plan together this week where they can kind of take advantage of some of that and and kind of I don't know if you can have a feel good story when you're two, when you're zero two, which is what Jacksonville's faced with. But it seems like they're ready to rally behind this guy and trying to build some momentum, and the Titans got to keep that from happening rookies with confidence are dangerous I think he's a very clearly a confident guy he's not afraid um and like Max said he's not afraid to throw it he's not afraid to try and make big plays and I think that that's just something that this team's going to have to be aware of his story's unreal it's very he's from Mississippi he goes to Troy on an academic scholarship then he decides he wants to play football so he leaves and goes juco He ends up at East Carolina, where he's the quarterback, and he graduates. He transfers as a grad transfer to Washington State and plays for Mike Leach. I mean, I just – you get the idea he's just not afraid of anything. No, and I think that that's kind of what has lent itself to kind of the swag or the quirkiness that he has, you know. I mean, he just kind of keeps sticking around, (laughs) and now he's getting the opportunity. So what does he have to lose, you know? I mean, he's a rookie. He's in this awesome – situation for him right now may as well take advantage of these opportunities and see what happens what did you say went on academic scholarship it's what i read well it's no here's the deal what's the act what's the highest you can score on 36 he scored 32 that's good good no so i mean this guy is a smart guy and everybody that you talk to that's been in his background has said he's a smart guy well mike leach said is he ryan fitzpatrick is that is that who he is as a as a person and as a player? Because let's face it, when Fitz gets hot, I mean, he is Fitz magic when he gets rolling. And Fitz is quirky and not scared of anything, and obviously very smart. He doesn't smart. have quite the facial hair that Fitz magic does. <laughs> okay, he's getting started. All right, he's but Ryan, he is young. He's young. <laughs> Here's what he is: he's Ryan Fitzpatrick, the player with Zach Mettenberger's face. Put those okay. two together. That's kind of what we're well, working on. Well, he can with. wing it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so what's Arthur Smith's challenge going into a short week against Jacksonville's talented defense, Coach Mack? Well, it's a, this is a common opponent. I mean, he knows what this defense is. He knows this, the the defensive structure. I mean, the first thing that, that, that Arthur's got to address is is first and second down culminating in, in too many third and longs to have to overcome. I mean, this is, you know, it, Arthur is going to have to address the chain game in this and as you said it was overlooked a little bit you know in the first ball game because it ended up being a, being a runaway but but this is this, this this is an issue and again this is a common opponent it's different than going up against what when we did against Cleveland where we didn't really know what they're going to do 
we know what these people are going to do defensively. They've got the same defensive players. You know what they're going to do. Your execution has to be better on first and second down, give you a chance on third down. Around the horn, your biggest concern about this game in Jacksonville for the Titans on Thursday night? Well, I, mean, I, I think this is huge for them. I mean, they've, they've lost two in a row. They're coming back on you know, a, a Thursday night game. Uh, I just think the Titans have got to be able to weather the storm go toe-to-toe with them and, fi- and find a way to win, something it couldn't do yesterday. So I just think going into a hostile environment, a team is looking for some revenge, is tired of getting beat by the Titans, um, you know, being able to, to overcome that. If this loss is something that rattled the chains at all in terms of people trusting the process, we're going to have a situation. I don't think that's the case, but that's always something you worry about in a close loss. No, she's right. I mean, it's a division opponent on the road, not letting the disappointment and the frustration of what just happened bleed over into Jacksonville. That cannot happen. Jacksonville's got to be treated as its own separate entity. It's a division game on the road. You win a division game on the road. It's like winning two games. Everything's got to be on Jacksonville. Nobody said Leonard Fournette. I'm surprised. Eh, I'm over him. Oh, pretty talented guy. He is. Gave up 167 rushing. On Sunday. Eh. Kind of worried. Whatever. Got to do better. we got to stop the run better. Yes. He got stopped at the two-point play. He did. He did. He's he talented. He dial up yeah. a couple of yard, more 99-yard runs like last year against Jacksonville. That would work. More stiff arms, please. <laughs> right. <laughs> for Amy Wells, Dave McGinnis, and Jim White, Mike Keith, thanks for joining us for this week's edition of the OTP.